Ooh, let's all take a deep breath. Come on. Anyone get touched during worship? You know, I did. So good. Man. You know, the reason that we, we worship really long here, uh, if that's something that's new to you or you're not used to church, you know, worship not being 20 minutes, uh, is because the reason we worship is because we believe Jesus is in the room. And I, I, I was thinking about it, you know, if you're discerning at all, you could probably feel like the beginning of the worship set, it's like we're hitting a wall. And then somewhere in the middle, we broke through and the Lord just showed up and it was incredible. And I was just thinking about even just the worship team. I was like, man, this is so amazing that we can go this long and still not run out of things to say. Like we can keep going for, we literally went an hour and a half, I believe. And there still was more to say. (laughs) That's when you get caught up in, in not just singing songs, but you're connecting to a person. Because you can't do that just to do that. Like if, if, if we're just worshiping some distant being that we have no relationship with, it's going to last 20 minutes. It really will. That's why in a lot of churches it's that way. But if we actually worship like we believe Jesus is alive and in the room, right, where two or more gathered, he is where? Here. then we're on his terms. If he's still moving, we're still moving. If he's still ministering, we're still ministering. So I just want to encourage you guys with that because I know it can be stretching. You know, I know the the first time when we, if if you guys are more recent, uh, we used to have two services because our church was growing a lot and uh, we had to accommodate more people. There was enough space. And uh, as a result, we were doing an hour service, an hour and a half service, 20-minute worship, 30-minute worship. And uh, we just felt convicted from the Lord uh, to scratch that structure and move back to one service. And one of the things that convicted us was that every relationship requires one thing to grow, and that's time. You're not going to grow a deep relationship with someone if you only spend 15 minutes with them. And so we moved to one service, which in church growth strategy is the dumbest move ever. And uh, we lost a lot of people because our worship was too long, right? There was enough space. But there's a cost to building the Lord a dwelling place. It's costly. Uh, There's this quote uh, I've shared before. It says that if the presence of God is in the church, it'll draw the world in. If the presence of God isn't in the church, the world will draw the church out. And so this is what we're after as a community. It's, sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's weird, you know. But at the end of the day, we have to be focused on why we're doing what we're doing. Why do you even go to church in the first place? You have to ask yourself that. Besides all of just the things that you think you're supposed to do, but in your heart's motives, why are you actually coming here? Because that is what will dictate the culture. That if we're coming here just to check something off, that's all you're going to get from it, is a finished task. But if you come here saying, I'm here to meet with God 
with the body, with the family of, 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 of Jesus, and that's what you're going to get. So I just want to encourage you guys with that. Um, so yeah, you guys ready for the word? Um, so a few weeks ago, I uh, taught a message um, about union with God. Who is here for that? It's called Made for Union. If you haven't listened to it or you weren't there, go back on the podcast. Um, I, I really believe this is, that was a message that our church needs to hear, the church needs to hear. And to kind of recap it a little bit, because it's going to frame where we're going today, is that in that message, I talked about the goal of being in a relationship with Jesus isn't trying to fit God into our lives, but to fit our lives into his. And that mindset of saying, God, come fit in my life is like giving God a little cup and saying, here, you can fill this in my parameters and my terms in my small capacity. But the invitation of union is saying, hey, I'm actually going to dive into him. And it's like jumping into an ocean. That's the invitation to live in union with God. And John Eldridge, he puts this really beautifully. He says this, he says, we were created for loving union with God. Our union is much more than salvation, dutiful service, performing religious rituals and attending weekly services. We can do all these things and still not have union with God. But your very being is made to be saturated with the being of God. So the question I want to propose today is how do we actually go deep in God? So if we see that there's this vastness of God that we can discover, how do we actually go deep into that? That's what we're going to jump in and explore today. And uh, I think every single one of us here desires a deep relationship with God. Every single one of us here wants to walk in boldness and have anointing and carry wisdom. And every single one of us wants to become more like Jesus. So what's the key to that thing? Because who wants that in the room? I want to become more like Jesus. I want to carry wisdom. I want to walk in boldness and power. I want the anointing of God in my life. How do we get that? What is the key? As Eldridge says, how do we become saturated with the being of God? And I think the key here is in Hebrews 11, verse 6, which is where we're going to camp out today. Hebrews 11, verse 6. This is the, the chapter, right, known as the, the hall of faith, right? All the, the, the people of faith in the past. And there's this verse in verse 6, and it says this, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. Right, that right there is a, a sermon in itself. It says, for he who comes to God, or he who draws near to God, first must believe that he is, Okay, so the first key to drawing near to God is that you have to actually believe that he exists. It's pretty easy. But the second one is that you have to believe that he is a rewarder. So you have to believe he exists, but there's an aspect of his nature that you have to understand. Is that he is a rewarder. And it ends in this. He is a rewarder of a very specific type of person, a person who diligently seeks him. So this is what I want to talk about today is 
seeking diligently. And so this right here is the key to having a vibrant relationship with God, to walk in anointing and wisdom. And it's, it's, it's to simply, diligently seek him. And throughout scripture, we see this theme of seeking God all throughout scripture. Uh, I want to read a couple of verses. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, it says this. You can just listen. Uh, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Proverbs 8, 17 says this, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7 to 14, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. We all know Psalm 27, verse 4, David says, one thing I've asked the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So as believers, how do we seek someone we already know? If we already know Jesus, how, how do we seek him? Why is there this invitation to seek? Seek and you'll find. Seek and you'll find. One thing I want is to seek him. How do we seek someone we already know? The reason we can seek someone we already know is because there's so much more of God for you to still discover. Right? Paul puts it, he says, may you have the power. I love that. It's, you can't even get here with your own natural strength. May you have the power to know, to understand, to grasp just how wide, how long, how how high and how deep his love is. And so a person that seeks, I want you to understand this, a person that seeks is a person that acknowledges that truth, that his love is high and deep and wide and long. And so to seek in a biblical sense is to search something out by any means possible. Now, when we seek, the goal is to simply draw near. That's the goal. So I want to say this statement for us to understand the weight of this, is that what you seek reveals what you value. What you seek reveals what you value. If you seek affirmation from people, it's what you value. If you seek to be seen all the time, it shows what you value. Whether good or bad, what you seek reveals what you value. So what if I were to tell you right now that under one of your chairs there's $50? Actually, put $50 on one of your chairs. Being serious. Someone's sitting in it. I know what chair it is. And it's in a white envelope under their chair. This shouldn't be this hard. It's in this vicinity. This vicinity. 
this vicinity. Right here in this vicinity. Oh, oh, Anissa got it. Hey, you grabbed it. It's yours. <laughs> no, it's yours. You grabbed it. There you go. Good job, Anissa. That took way harder than I thought it would. My gosh. I should have put more money. What to motivate you guys. All right. There you go, right? If you seek, you'll find. All right. There you go. Praise God. All right, let's bring it back in. So the point of that is that what you seek reveals you, your, what you value. If I was to say, hey, there's 50 cents on your chair, no one would have cared, right? Apparently 50 bucks still was enough, but you know, it's fine. <laughs> but you get the point. So the reason everyone you were looking under your chair is because you valued it enough to want to find it. And so your consistency to seek him is always connected to the consistency of how much you value him. If you value him, you will seek him. If you value him in your pain, you will seek him. If you value him in your confusion, you will seek him. If you value him when it's uncomfortable during worship, you will seek him. Hebrews 11:6 puts it that he is a rewarder of those who not passively seek him, but diligently seek him. And what if I told you that every moment... There's $50 bills laying around that God wants you to find. In every moment of your life, God is saying, seek me and you'll find me. He's laying it all around. He's laying it in the sleepless night when you're holding your newborn baby. He has it hidden when you're laying in bed throwing up. There's a reward hidden. He has it when you're fighting with your spouse and you don't know how you're going to make it. There is a reward hidden. But you have to diligently seek if you want to receive that reward. That God loves to reward those who seek him. And yes, he rewards with healing, with provision, with answers to our questions. But ultimately, the reward is himself. The reward is his presence. I love this, this little theological nugget. But in the Old Testament, when the 12 tribes of Israel right? They, they camped out. Every single tribe had, were given their own land when they entered the promised land. Every single one had their own land, and they had their tents, and they had almost like their own little cities or their big cities. And every single tribe had and were, was given a city except for the tribe of Levi. The Levites were the priest. Levites weren't given any land. 
And it's almost like confusing because the, the priests are like the holy ones, right? They're the good ones, the ones that didn't worship the golden calf. Like you would think that they would be given the most land, but they weren't given any land. That they were actually littered throughout all the different tribes. That's where they would live, right? They're meant to be as a priest mediators to the people who God is. But here's a verse the Old Testament says this, that they weren't given any land because the Lord was their inheritance. Think about that. Even though they seem to be the most deserving tribe, they weren't given anything, but the Lord was the reward. The Lord was their inheritance. And so when we seek him, what we're finding is his presence. Earlier in this verse, if you go to Hebrews 11, verse 1, it gives us and defines faith to us. It says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. And so knowing that when, when in verse 6, when it says that he is a rewarder, The key here is that if you want to draw near, you first have to believe that he is there on the other side waiting to reward you with himself. So if faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see, and this is the very thing that pleases him, he is pleased when in every situation, even when you don't see him, you seek him. And the reward is you will find him. You will find him in the midst of what seems like the most absent thing that God would be in. You will find him. Think about this is the very thing that pleases God. It's to live in a level of confidence that he is always on the other side of every moment, every hardship, every blessing, waiting to reward you with himself. So in Hebrews, it says that he rewards not just those who seek him, but specifically those who diligently, say diligently, Diligently. those who diligently seek him. That a diligent person, okay, is someone who is devoted, someone who is consistent, and someone who is faithful. Proverbs 21, verse 5, it says this. It says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The word hasty means someone who is in a hurry or someone who takes shortcuts. So the plans of the one who is diligent, who's consistent, who is faithful will surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty, who wants to take the easy route, That is in a hurry comes only to poverty. In Proverbs 13, verse 4, it says this. The soul of the lazy one, just, you know, just putting it all out there. The soul of the lazy one craves and gets nothing. But the soul of the diligent is made prosperous. It's so practical. And I want you to take hold of that. Because who knows, the Lord doesn't bless laziness. 
Not a lot of amens for that. You're like, yeah, it's funny. The Lord doesn't bless laziness. He doesn't bless striving. But he doesn't bless laziness. He blesses diligence. And so spiritual maturity, we have to understand spiritual maturity can't be measured by natural means. Because it's not a natural thing. I've met 70-year-olds who've been Christians for 40 years and are less spiritually mature than 20-year-olds who've been Christians for four years. And vice versa. So just because you've believed in God for a while, it doesn't mean you're actively maturing in Christ. Because you don't mature based on time because God is outside of time. That is because spiritual maturity isn't about how long you've believed in God. It's about how diligently you've sought him in the time you've believed in him. It's about how deep you have gone in God. And I hope that encourages some of you and I hope that convicts some of you. It's not about how long you believed. It's about how diligently you've sought him. I was a Christian since I was a kid. Why well, didn't act actively start seeking him like six years ago? Right? One day in his courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. It's not about time. It's about seeking. But how diligent you are in seeking him. Because listen, in the seeking, you will find him. And in finding him, there's deliverance. There's healing, there's wisdom, there's strategy, there's friendship, there's comfort. In seeking him, you will find him. Do we have any uh, gym rats in the room? This is your, your chance to brag, so just, just him. Um, hey, congratulations. Who knows that you don't accidentally get in shape? You don't accidentally get healthier. Right? I, had, uh, I had COVID one time, lost 10 pounds, it was great. It was like my reward of suffering. Uh, but I actually, I didn't get healthy, right? I just lost a lot of water and uh, gained it all back in like a week. We literally, that, we had COVID, was sick, and then we went to Disney World. Get it all back at Disney World. Um, but that's fine. But the point is, you don't accidentally just get in shape, right? It doesn't work like that. And spiritual maturity is like exercise. The same way you can exercise in the span of 40 years, go to the gym every now and then and casually try to get in shape. But someone who exercises, is, exercises, is, exercises diligently, consistently, actively in the span of four years could end up healthier, lose more weight, and be more in shape than someone who's exercised here and there in 40 years. Think about that. So what sets the two apart? It isn't time. It isn't age. It's diligence. I think we've all met people or have had friends who we've seen great callings on, we've seen great anointing on. 
but we see them ending up falling short from stepping into the fullness that God has for them, and they stay on the surface. You know what I'm talking about? You, those people where you're like, man, there is such incredible calling on their life, but they're just settling and staying on the surface. It's like there's gifting. They're, like the Lord, the Lord can use this person, but they're just settling on the surface. And the reason is because the opposite of diligence is passivity. What is the opposite of diligence? It's passivity. You don't passively exercise. It's called walking. And passivity will kill your spiritual life. Or what's that quote? Comfort is a slow death. That it takes diligence to move past fear. It takes diligence to extend forgiveness. It takes diligence to serve when you don't want to. Come on, amen. It takes diligence to be inconvenienced for God. (laughs) And so passivity and comfort will keep you on the surface and stop you from ever going deep in God. Psalm 105 verse 4 says this, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence, what? Continually. Not just Sunday mornings. Continually. And when you hear this, to seek diligently is to seek continually. It's less about quantity, but consistency in heart. Right? David said that there's only one thing I ask and seek What he's saying is essentially that that he only has one aim. It's not not about how many times and repetitions, which, you know, it's helpful for discipline, but it's about seeking continually. It's like hitting the same mark over and over again. That the, the pursuit and the focus and the goal is hitting the same thing. Right? The, the, the literal definition of sin is missing the mark. And so the pursuit here to seek him, saying, God, I'm going to seek you continually. To seek his presence, to dwell in his house, and to gaze on his beauty. Another translation in the NIV of Psalm 105, verse 4, says this, Look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face, Always, right? Another translations for presence is face, to be face-to-face with God, to be in proximity to God. And the reason that we seek him is that we seek him not from a place of lack, but from abundance. We seek him not because he's distant, but because he wants you to discover how much of him you can enjoy and know. And when we see the story of, of Moses and we see the Lord led them out of Egypt and led them to this exodus, we see this unique dynamic of how Moses interacted with God and how the Israelites interacted with God. In Psalm 103 verse 7, it, it puts it this way. 
It says that God revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. So what does this mean? This means that Israel knew what God could do. They saw the signs. They saw the miracles, right? They saw God show up tangibly. Israel knew what God could do, but only Moses knew what God was like. Here's another translation of that is that Israel sought God's hands while Moses sought God's face. And this is the most important part for us to understand is that we seek his face before his hands because he is the rewarder and the reward. (laughs) He is the answer. He is the peace. He is the comfort. And so to reap the reward of his presence in all aspects of life, in every situation, you have to seek diligently. To seek him when you're mourning, to seek him in your blessing and your promotion, to seek him in your marriage and friendships, to seek him when you're lonely and confused, to seek him in your success, to seek him in your betrayal and hurt, to seek him in all things. C.S. Lewis, he, he puts this quote, I love it. He says, of course, God does not consider you hopeless. Love that. God does not consider you hopeless. If he did, he would not be moving you to seek him. And he obviously is. What is going on in you at present is simply the beginning of the treatment. Continue seeking with cheerful seriousness. Unless he wanted you, you would not be wanting him. So what this means is that even when you're broken down and you're yelling at God, you're still wanting him. Otherwise, you wouldn't even be interacting with him. I love that. Unless he wanted you, you would not be wanting him. I'm going to wrap up, but I want to go back to that imagery of all of us scattered trying to find that $50 bill. Right, that in every circumstance, in every situation, God can be found. He wants your heart to be connected to the value of who he is. But we have to be willing to dig and get up out of our chair and move past the discomfort and inconvenience to find him. But the promise is that if you seek, you will what? You'll find. Not just seek passively. So I think we've all been there, right? Where we're like, yeah, I mean, like I sought God in in the middle of this and, you know, he didn't show up, he didn't answer me and I'm still hurt, I'm still angry at God. But did you seek diligently? The worship team come up. Let's do a ministry time. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. St. Augustine, he says this quote, I'll end here. He says, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek him is the greatest adventure. 
and to find him is the greatest human achievement. This is what we're going after. To fall in love with him is the greatest romance. To seek him is the greatest adventure. To find him is the greatest human achievement. That every single human being is yearning for more. Anyone in the room? You're yearning for more. You, you see your life, whether it's good or bad. Right? This is why people like going to Disney World. There's just this yearning for what is not here. There's this yearning for something otherly, something more, something holy. Right? Ecclesiastes says that he set eternity in your heart. Your heart hungers for eternity. And so the invitation here today, guys, is that God is waiting to be found. That that hunger for more is found in him. Right, that imagery of if we are fitting our lives into God, there's so much more of him for us to discover. But you have to diligently seek, to continually seek his face. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus.